but we got to get conservatives in school board and municipalities, county government, so forth. And this is what Run Gen Z is, is all about is, you know, we're building the bench and we're making sure that we have conservatives in those seats. And I mean, especially too, with your three girls and, and school board, school board is so big right now yes. and we need conservatives in those seats. Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interests in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate. And if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Hello, and welcome to Political Contessa. This is Jennifer Nassor, and I am your Political Contessa. I decided that I want to spend a couple of episodes showcasing some young, impressive, amazing, active women in politics at different stages of their education, their careers, and and different things that they've been doing, hoping, hoping that maybe I could encourage more young women, Republican young women, to run for office. But that takes you. That takes you to share with them the podcasts and to encourage them because we know that women need to be asked at least seven times to run for office before they take the plunge. And so I think finding women when they're in college, talking to women about politics when they're young girls building their minds that they could do anything they want, including run for office, is a great way to get them involved and to get them started early and to get them to run early. And so I'm focusing on this running early part here because my guest today is a very, very impressive young woman. To me, by the way, you're still very young. But (laughs) her name is Tori Marie Onberger Blue. She is an American politician who is currently serving in the Kansas House of Representatives. She was elected in the fall of 2016. We all know what that fall was. She's a Republican that was elected in the fall of 2016. She's from Great Bend, Kansas, and she announced her candidacy. I love this. I love this. I love this. This is like This is like my dream as a mom. This was my dream when I was a kid. She announced her candidacy while she was a senior at Fort Hayes State University. And she became the youngest member of the Kansas legislature and remained the youngest member of the Kansas legislature from 2017 until 2021. Now, you might just say, oh, she's a token young person in the legislature and probably, you know, hasn't done much there. Oh, no, no, no. In 2022, this representative was elected as the House Majority Whip. So just in case you have no faith in where young women can go, she has actually achieved 
some great heights before she even turned 30. So please welcome with me today, Representative Tori Marie Arnberger Blue. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. It is it is actually truly my honor to have you. And we were we were introduced through a mutual friend, acquaintance, through an organization you're involved in called Run Gen Z. And so I want to talk about Run Gen Z, but I really, I need to know your story. I need to know that why a college senior woke up and said, I'm going to run for the state legislature. Well, it's kind of a interesting story because I was in school to be a teacher and I was supposed to student teach in the spring of 2016. And I just woke up one day. It's it's the fall of, of 2015. I just woke up and I just thought, this just doesn't seem right. I think that I'm supposed to be doing something else. I don't know what it is. I can always come back and do the student teaching if that's what I need to do. But I just kind of have this love for politics right now. And let me just kind of dabble in it. And so I, instead of student teaching that spring semester of 16, I went to the Kansas legislature and applied to be intern. And so I interned that year. And and just just to show you, um, I, I will do anything. I will be involved in anything. I will give you 128%. And so my internship was in Topeka, of course, where our state capital is, and I live in Great Bend, and that's a three-hour drive. And so I didn't live in Topeka, so I still I moved back to my parents' house, and this internship is $0 that you get paid. But I would wake up in the morning and be on the road by 5.30 at the latest, so I could be at the Capitol by 8, 8.30. And then I would be there, intern all day and leave by five and get home by eight. Oh, and my so, God. But How many what? days a week did you do that? I did it typically two days a week. And my legislator that I interned for, she was actually my professor, one of my professors in college and one of my education professors. And so I was a substitute teacher as well. And so she understood if I got a phone call, I mean, I was already getting up. So if I got a phone call at 530 in the morning that they needed someone to sub, I would sub and then go to Topeka, hopefully another day that week. So I was there at least two days a week. And when I was up there, I just want to kind of go back a little bit. I asked my sitting legislator if I could be his intern. And his response back to me was, my office is too small for an intern. So... I thought that was a little interesting because I went to visit him and he had one of the larger offices. Nonetheless, that's fine. Wow. Yep. And so when I was up there interning, I noticed he was gone for three weeks straight. Excused absence, excused absence. And so at first I thought, oh, is he sick? What's going on? Nope. I heard from people around the district. He was just, they saw him around town. And his excuse always always was, well, it's tax season. So, well, the legislative season and tax season never changes. So I'm sorry. (laughs) And so anyways, after I tried to someone to run, everybody in my district, nobody wanted to run. It's three hours away, paid nothing. And those who do, who, those who were interested, they were just recently retired and their, their response was, 
I want to be retired. And so I get it. So finally they said, Tori, if you're so upset, you do it. So I said, okay, I guess I'm doing this. So that's kind of my story of how I ran. I filed in the spring of my senior year of college and it was a huge learning experience. And so when I walked across the stage, I decorated my cap and gown. My cap said Tory for Kansas 2016 and had a die cut of the state capitol. And I really thought the whole time, man, this is going to be really awkward if I lose because now I'm stuck (laughs) with all these graduation pictures with this idea that I could run for office. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Well, clearly it was it was the power, right, of persuasive thinking and and it helped you. So, so wait, so you actually, you took out a sitting legislator on top of it. So he filed and I was going to run against him. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And literally right before I was about to file, I think he caught, I don't know the answer. He was in the legislature for 20 years. And all of a sudden he announced that he was not running again. And so I hopped on right away. I knew the first person to file is simply the one that gets all the press. And so I filed and he went unfiled. So I asked him for help and never got a response. So you intimidated him out of the race. He was a jerk. And then he proved how useless he actually was when he wouldn't help you. I can say that. (laughs) I'm not going to say it, but it was very interesting. And Again, I was 22 when I filed, 23 when elected. I reached out, obviously, to be his. I wanted to be his intern. I wanted to learn. I wanted to say, hey, let's work together. When you're ready to retire, I want to be right there ready. And I wanted to work beside him. And he just did not want, I don't think, wanted me to do that. And the other thing, and I love everything that you're you're doing with these podcasts, is I'm the first female to hold the seat in my district. Wow. And so, and it, sad though that it took till 2016 to have a female to hold this seat but I've always had somebody that's held this this house seat has always been it's always been for 20 years 15 years so forth and so we don't have a lot of turnover and I really think it's due to lack of pay and it's so far away versus those areas that are closer to the state capital right which probably make it more competitive there but I mean you know I bring up really interesting factor that I just want to stick with for a little bit, which is, you know, and I've told you my story of when I was young and I wanted to run for office and, and you know, how demeaning the party bosses were with me. Okay. I did actually, I'll tell you the one part of the story I didn't tell you was when I became Massachusetts Republican Party chair and I walked into my first RNC meeting my party boss, my former party party boss was there and he was the interim GOP chair in New York at the time. And he looked at me and he shook his head and he grabbed my hand and he said, I made a big mistake with you. <laughs> and I was like, that's all I needed to know. And But that was back in the 90s, right? And And I would love to think that this misogyny in politics has subsided. But I mean, you know the stats as well as I do. For most of our legislatures, most of our city governments and county governments, women make up under 30% of the elected officials. And so unless we change those numbers 
and get more women in there and more women who are are helping other women, I think we're still going to continue to run into this. And it it bums me out that you had that happen to you in the mid 2000s, you know, mid 2010s that 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 was happening to you. So but it's a great lesson. And look, you know, you ended up you ended up ascending to a phenomenal position you know and and clearly having the gravitas and the the esteem in your legislature that that you needed to get you into the position of being majority whip so so let's talk about i mean that's how you got there now you're in public service you have constituencies so you're responsible to them I think a lot of us that work together in the space believe in accountability and transparency and all those all those right. really odd things that we don't see coming out of our our federal government these days. Do you have some policy priorities are there are there things that you would like to change would do you see yourself do I'm going to put you on the spot do you see yourself doing more? So you know each each session I find something different that I'm interested in. And so, for instance, the first session I was interested in, I was a substitute teacher utilized in different school districts since I had my teaching degree. I wasn't just the babysitting school teacher. They they actually had me teach the lessons and so forth. And, and oh, I loved teaching history and government. Those are my favorite classes. And I would be like, do you guys know who Carrie Nation is? So anyways, you know, the first few years, it was just me learning about the budget that that's what I was so interested in, because we had a huge budget deficit, trying to figure out taxes. I'm super thankful that my mother is a tax preparer. So we made dummy tax returns. And that was huge when we were talking about increasing the tiers that we're going to be a two tier, three tier system, you know, for instance, down in Kansas, we're looking at doing a flat tax, so forth. That was huge to know, you know, I've seen these percentages, but how much, are, how much are we really talking for families, families of four, single mom, the elderly, so forth. So, so that was the first few sessions. And I really grasped on to the lottery and learning how the lottery worked because it was only earmarked for so much. And the rest of it was essentially free money. It just went to SGF. So um, that those are my first few years. And then as I dabbled in a little bit more, really learned and loved to learn about sports betting. But at the time, Kansas is looking into sports betting. And that's kind of where the the love for the lottery went and the and the money and could we earmark some of this and and put it towards other programs since a lot of people aren't for gambling, but if we could raise money for these other programs, would that offset and maybe make those who are not inclined to vote for it, maybe vote for it, that kind of thing. That's probably how I got into my majority whip position. But then lately, you know, I got married in 2020 and my husband and I were trying to start a family. And so the day after we got married, I got us on a wait list for daycare and daycare is an issue that is it's all over. Every state's having it depends where you're at, how bad it is, but our waiting lists and affordable daycare and everything, getting people back into the workforce, it all goes hand in hand. And so this year I have been like daycare queen 
for the legislature. Um, and so that's been my my go to is what do we need to do? And in Kansas, it is overly regulated, so overly regulated that you can't have the retired mom down the street watch the three kids after school legally. Wow. And yeah. So so I've actually I had a meeting on Monday with our KDHE Kansas Department of Health and Environment. I was with them and they, I, I think, this is just my personal opinion, I think it's just a, oh, we met with the legislature. So I hope that this conversation is is more than just that, but they're looking at going through all of their regulations and I hope that we can remove some of them and remove the red tape because government's never the answer. No, no, it's not. And, you know, I love that as a young woman who was elected to office, you dove into the budget and you, I mean, this is something I talk about all the time. Mainstream media would love women to believe, especially young women, that you're single issue voters. And and the only thing you care about is your right to choose abortion rights, whatever, and and not about anything else. But I think that women who make up so much of the purchasing power, the consumer purchasing power, make so many economic decisions, actually deal with the economy every single day. And one of the things that I think is so important, I'm a mom of of three, is childcare costs. And how much it costs are, I cannot believe you got married and then you put your name on a list for daycare without having kids. That goes to say something. And if especially as a Republican, I look at it like, you know, we we want people to work, right? We're the party of, or we should be, or we were, pulling people up by the bootstraps and showing them the path. Right. And, you know, like Jesus, teach a man to fish and he, you know, can eat for a lifetime. Like, well, guess what? If you are a single mom with a child or two or five, it's very difficult to go to work if you do not have quality daycare that you know your kids are not being abused, that they're being paid attention to. And right. I think that there are a lot of people out there that could have businesses as providers if they had normal regulations to go through that aren't strapping them from, yes, like the grandmother, the young grandmother down the street who can take a couple of kids and and you know know what age group she can handle. That's a woman's issue. Like, and by the way, that's yeah. also a dad's issue. That's that's a family issue because that impacts the amount of of economic strength you have in a household. If you go from one working parent, I mean, from two working parents to one, and and you can't afford all the other things. So that's really really impressive. And I think that's like that's the thing that I always would like to have conversations refocus on, <laughs> like the importance of something like this. Right. Because you don't know until you either you're paying attention to it. You know, it's it's well, because you need it. Yeah. And so the other thing, too, my degree is in business education. And so I always when I even had my own classroom, I had two favorite classes I like to teach. And I was in a very small school district. I love teaching business law just because I find that fascinating. And it was something different. But the other thing I also love teaching was consumer personal finance. And, and so what amazed me, and you, and you mentioned the economy and, and, and inflation is so ridiculous right now, is first thing I asked these kids are 17, 16, 17, 18 years old, some are about to graduate co- or high school. 
And I said, how many of you are going to own a house in the, right after you graduate high school? And half of them raised their hand. And I said, how? Let's, and so I got out the, the mortgage calculator and taught them, you know, here is your homeowner's insurance. Here's what you have to do. Realistically, a lot of houses, if you're going to buy a fixer upper, how much you have to be prepared for this. So like we went through all that. Then the next thing that we did was I had them get online and pretend that their parents don't live with them. It's their first time on their own and they need to buy items for their house. And I said, buy what your parents buy. If they buy name brand toilet paper, put that on your list. If they buy this, 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 so forth. And then they went and they threw it all in. And then I said, all right, now look at your checkout. It's ridiculous. Now, if we were to exchange this and just do generic brand, how much are you going to save? And so I did that because that's what I had to deal with when I was in college and on my own and had zero money and mom and dad aren't there to go grocery shopping for me. And that's why I joked with them. I said, this is why we always say we lived off macaroni and cheese and ramen noodles in college. <laughs> I did the same. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's what we could afford. And anyway, so like we went through all that. I taught them the Dave Ramsey, just the easy, you know, the seven baby steps and, and the snowball method if you're in debt and what is insurance. Just all of this. Stuff. We made a budget. I made one day I got or during my plan period, so which no teacher will ever say that ever again. But I created this game called the Game of Life, and it was kind of like not like the actual game, but everybody drew out of a hat, and each person had a different challenge. So, like maybe one person it was sold a pair of jeans, great bit, or on a buy sell trade and made twenty dollars, and another person it you have to go get your oil change in your vehicle forty eight dollars. And so everybody had a check register and they had, so in the end, some were in, in the hole, they had to write a paper over it. It was, it was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed doing it, but it was just crazy. They, that's when they finally were starting to realize, oh, so there's a lot more to life than what we're dealing with right now. And mm. it's like, yes. So those are things, you know, that right now, what I was trying to get at, I kind of went off to a tangent there. What I was trying to get at is, you know, somebody who as a woman, you know, and I think a lot of women are the ones that do all the grocery shopping in the house. And we bought a Dylan's credit card just for our groceries. So we could figure out how much we're truly spending on groceries and kind of get the points back and so forth and get free groceries back. And it's amazing. We buy our beef in bulk. If we're my parents get a, a cow butchered. So we do that. Or I buy chicken in bulk and freeze it. So I'm not buying any actual meat. And I'm spending two to $300 a, a week, yes. every two weeks for my husband and I. And that's it. Yeah. I can't imagine with a family with three girls. Or imagine if your little girls were, were boys. Right. And, and eating, boys eating eat. me out of house and home, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So it's yeah. amazing to me. And these are conversations that I think Republicans should be winning on right now. There's no way we I mean, basically the only conversation we should be having because, I mean, putting gas into a car is expensive. Putting food on a table. I have the same thing as you. When I go food shopping and I'm not buying a hell of a lot of meat, 
and if any, and it is, you know, two, $300 when I go to the food store and I look around, I'm like, what the hell did I just buy? Right. Right. And, and you're like, so for the, for a person who, you know, is just starting out for a mom who's struggling and, and working two jobs and then trying to think of childcare on top of it and all the other costs, I think the Republicans, if we got back to basics, we win Mm -hmm. on these arguments of limited government, of fiscal responsibility, right, of liberties, like that's what will help people move ahead and just live a better life because you're not so bogged down by the regulations and by the economy and by the fact that it's tougher to get a job. And so it's super. So I love, I love what you're doing. I love what you're focusing on. I want to talk about, well, I want to talk about your campaign in first. And if you hit, were there any pitfalls that you've seen in your campaigns? Do you have to campaign? Are you in, in every two year or every, every, every other yes, year? every, every two other. years. So, and then in 2024 next year, both the house and the Senate are both up. So our Senate's every four years and our house is every two years. So yeah, when I first got elected and when I first was running, it was, and I told everybody, I don't know the answer to everything and I'm not going to act like I do. I'm here to listen. If you have ideas, please let me know. But I'm also, I'm also going to be up front and know that there's two sides to every story, maybe even five. (laughs) So I appreciate your input, but I also need to do more research into this before I make a decision or make point on something like that. And that was, that was my biggest thing. And the other thing that every, everybody gave me the piece of advice that everybody gave me when I first got elected was the only thing you have up here is your word. And so if you change your mind, that's fine. Just make sure you let people know who you told the other way. Hey, I decided I changed my mind. I'm going to be on this way. And that is something that I think breaks people in politics because they promise both sides. And, uh, and you also can see those who haven't made up their mind because the lobbyists and everybody are just on them constantly. And they know when they walk into my office, they kind of figure out where I'm at. But I, that is one thing. There has only been one time I've changed my mind on a vote and, but I didn't promise anybody anything. So, and that was, that was the other thing too, which is I changed, it was on a veto override. And quite frankly, it was something that I realized I voted the wrong way the first time when I learned more about it. And it's funny because at that point, you know, the Democrats always say, especially in my district, it's okay to change your mind. And so I changed my mind against them and onto another issue. And all of a sudden, how dare you? (laughs) And, And it's like, Oh, okay. So it's, it's only okay if it benefits you. Got it. Great. I'll remember that. (laughs) So yeah, it's just, it's crazy. And the other thing I just want to say too, and I think that every legislator, every taxpayer should be looking into this, that you, we should be spending our money in our states and our tax dollars, just like we would at home. And so it's kind of like, and this is one thing that's driving me crazy, is all of this free COVID money that we keep getting that everybody, they're they're creating these programs and so forth. 
what happens when it runs out? Then now all of a sudden now we have to pay for it. And so what do you, you don't do that at your home if you got a huge bonus? It's a bonus. You didn't get a salary increase. You can't bank on that for the next year. And so that's just what amazes me is, yeah, I'm all for my thing is I want to buy down as much debt as possible and being in, as a person and I don't want to be in debt as a state. And that's where we should be using utilizing our, our money, not on going out there, creating all these programs. And in three years saying, oh, legislature, this program was semi-great. I need you to keep funding it. And it's way out of your budget. Like, no, that's not how you do this. You you just make too much sense. You're way too rational. <laughs> I'm just, can, can you tell my husband that? I hope that I can't wait for him to, I can't wait for him to hear this. Justin, listen. <laughs> you are way too rational. Honestly, I mean, because that that's like, that is one of the things we, you can't overspend. You have to pay attention to the budget. I tell people all the time, and you're an elected official, but I think you agree with me on this. Elected officials are not celebrities. They are public no. servants that work for us, are elected by us, and are paid for by our tax dollars. And right. so we should hold everyone in public office accountable for what they say. And I always believe you only have your reputation. That is the only thing you have. So what you were saying about your word, your word is only as good as how many times someone can rely on it. And second, someone finds that you're lying and you're playing games, you lose your reputation. And so you you also have so much wisdom because you've been around it and you've seen it and you know it doesn't work to pull tricks. And but that that to me goes back to, you know, my main focus is that we need more women that are in office and not saying that they're not fallible and that they lie. And, you know, we've got AOC out there and she's like a walking hypocrisy. But, you know, I just don't get how the Democrats like her. I don't I, I can't. I mean, it's like all she wants is celebrity. And it's so it's so transparent. That's the only thing about her that's transparent is that she wants to be like have her own reality TV show. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think that for the most part, women are better communicators, they're better negotiators, they're better collaborators. And what you see is what you get because there's not enough time to play games and to try to make someone think you're going to do something that you're not. And so, you know, I think you are kind of like my model. I started this by telling you, I'm so impressed by you. So I want to talk about Run Gen Z because I think uh -huh. that they, you have been involved with them. I think that it's a very impressive group of young people in politics who are looking to hopefully find more people who are going to run to bring back the Republican Party to our principles, right. smaller government, limited government and, you know, fiscal sanity. Tell us a little bit about Run Gen Z. Yeah, so... Our founder's name is Joe Mitchell, and he has some co-founders, and, and the co-founders are two women down in Florida. They, they're all state reps, state rep in West Virginia, and then a state rep in New Hampshire. So, And then, and then Joe is from Iowa. So they kind of came together. Joe had this idea of he ran when he was 21. I ran when I was 23. And 
there was really nobody there in our situation to help us, mentor us, so forth, unless it happened maybe through our own leadership team, so forth. And I can tell you in my situation, nobody was there to help me besides my friends here that are involved politically. But they kind of just wrote me off when I was young. And I get it. I was young. They didn't know where I stood, so forth. And so Run Gen Z was started to recruit and get folks under 30 to run for office. And so I think it launched maybe in 2020. I got into the coalition in 2021. Joe and I met at a leadership leadership institute. It was a five-day deal where we're both young elected officials in the Midwest. And so I met him and then I saw him again at the National Federation of Young Republicans. And we're in Indianapolis. And he goes, Tori, I have this really, really great organization. I'd love for you to be part of it. I need mentors. And you as a young woman would be even better because we're trying to figure out how to get more women involved. And I really need your help. And I said, that's, yeah, absolutely. That's great. I'd love to help you, whatever you need. So after that, that's all I knew about Run Gen Z. And so then I called him later. I said, what did I sign up for? And so... He said, everyone's focused right now on running for state office or even Congress, but we got to get conservatives in school board and municipalities, county government, so forth. And this is what Run Gen Z is, is all about is, you know, we're building the bench and we're making sure that we have conservatives in those seats. And I mean, especially too, with your three girls and and school board school board is so big right now yes. and we need conservatives in those seats and so it's it's just been a great organization to be a part of i've been a mentor for a couple young women one thing that we've started doing i actually had a fundraiser i was working with the fundraiser once and and he said we were working on our story and he said tori you're just you're you're too timid why are you, why are you not really getting involved? Like, tell me what you've done. You've done great things. Why can't you talk about yourself? And I said, I don't know. I just can't. And it's just weird for me, you know, just kind of the typical woman thing. I don't want to talk about myself. I can talk about you all day long, but I I can't talk about myself. And so he introduced me to the book called How Women Rise. And so it's a really good book. And so actually, as with the group that we all had our conference in Dallas in, in January, we had a women's roundtable and I had to head out early. But I said, hey, everybody, I'm reading this book. It's really great. And I hope that you guys can all read it at some point. Maybe we can do a book club. So we're actually doing a book club now with our young and elected officials or our candidates. And so we just started doing that. And it's really great to have these young women. And I said, this habit really doesn't say a lot relate to it, but can you and these women, and it's actually what's interesting is there's quite a few women in this coalition that have pageant experience. And I think that's wonderful. And so, yeah. And so I have enjoyed, you know, they, they're used to being on stage. They're used to having to have those tough questions answered and being, in a professional manner. And then the interview process. And I was involved with Miss Kansas here and those girls have had to go through a lot. And so it's been great to hear their perspective on a lot of things as we have been doing this book club and so forth. And, and the fact that we don't get the respect that we deserve and how are we going to fix that? 
And so it's been great. So anyway, so we've, we have over 80 elected officials now in our coalition. We're in 33 states. I just flew out to DC with the founder, Joe, and our executive director, Mason. Joe and I both were, we both were nominated for the Future 40 Award for Maverick Pack. And so it's, we're really getting out there and we're making a splash in DC too. And some DC folks about the RNC and, and they're excited because we are building the bench the next, and we're getting everybody ready for the next step. I I love it. That is so awesome. That is really just like, uh, makes my, just fills my heart, my political heart with so much hope because I'm in my fi- early fifties. I mean, I'm like, you know, barely in my fifties, but <laughs> thank God for Google, right? It's like, if I didn't say it, anyone could go and Google how old I am, but <laughs> it's hard for me to motivate 21 year old or a 22 year old to get into the business. And even though I was involved when I was 19 and I grew up in politics because it was just my love and my passion, it is very difficult to try to connect when you're much older, right? And so it's great to have the mentors out there and the folks who have come before you, but it's nice to have someone who's close enough in your age range and has done it and run for office in their early 20s and was elected, really kind of gravitate to and to look up to as a role model and say, wow, she did it. I can do it. And it's also really wonderful. I mean, I was looking at the Gen Z board and I saw the female legislators, young females in Florida that are elected. Like Mm -hmm. that is just so cool to me. I think it's cool that young men are elected too, but we have this numbers problem. (laughs) Over 50% of the population are women in the United States and women are so underrepresented. And I would like to see it. And the Democrats have done, to their credit, have done an amazing job having more women elected. And I think that, you know, this is all based on you could have a good message, a good message, but you need a really good messenger and you could have a really Mm -hmm. good messenger with a terrible message. And I think the path that you're on, the path that Gen Z is laying out, Run Gen Z is laying out is a great mix, great combination of a really good message and a really good and really good messengers out there. And and the thing that I really like about it is we're a group of all Republicans. So we have your far right. We have your a little bit more moderate. And each state is obviously different. Each district is different. Certain things work. Certain things don't work. And so I've actually been able to, you know, I feel like I've become a mentor for a couple of our already elected officials. And because I'm weird, I'm only 30 and I'm the mama bear of the group. <laughs> so I'm used to being the youngest and now I'm the oldest. But it's it's been great because I I feel that we are we're talking about issues, we're talking about school choice, we're talking about all this stuff that's going on right now. And just a sometimes it's just a venting session. Sometimes it's just I have to get this off my chest, or did I mess up? Because there's times that I, I've said things in front of the press and I just, oh my gosh. And asking my husband, he's such a great guy, but he just doesn't get politics. And sometimes <laughs> I just need someone else to talk to. 
But the other thing too is our mentors are all the way into something minor as being asked, what do I wear when I go door knocking? Is there a, a time that is better than others? And that kind of stuff. What should I give my door knockers as a thank you? And so it just, it's just those minor things on, or if I only have a thousand dollars left, what should I spend it on? That's what we're here for. Mm -hmm. And so, and the other thing too, that's great about our generation is that we know how to utilize technology and that it's cheaper than print. And so a Facebook ad can kind of go a lot further sometimes than a mailer, depending on your district. That's amazing. And that's true. I mean, it's so definitely a different way of campaigning. I mean, you know, when I first started out, no one ever would have thought of mail-in ballots, you know, and not going to vote in person. And I remember when Obama was running for office in 2006, 2007, and a friend of mine was like, so crazy, I'm getting text messages from the Obama campaign. Like that's when, you know, the spam texting started. And that's crazy. Like, you know, by 2008, that campaign was was full blast. Republicans, it took forever. So it is. It's the same generation. You, you understand the importance of clothing. Like, you know, some of the older mentors, I'm sure, say to wear is so different mm-hmm. than what someone in their early 20s is going to wear. And, and it's really great. I, I hope I wish Run Gen Z a ton of success. I want two things from you. One, I want you to say the Run Gen Z website so that way people can donate. And I want you to give yours, your campaign website or whatever it is, social media that you have. So that way people can donate to your next campaign as well. Yeah. So thank you. So the Run Gen Z website is rungenz.com. Very basic. I just want to say too, so you guys know, I am a millennial, but I am in the Run Gen Z coalition. So <laughs> so we aren't just Gen Zers. We do have some millennials in the group. Some of us mama bears. <laughs> <laughs> you old lady, you Tori. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. When I turned 30 this year, I turned 30 last month. It was it was a tough one for me. <laughs> I'll tell you, all of the decade ones are tough. Those are, oh. yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> And then if you go check out my Facebook page and it's representative Tori Marie Blue and it's T-O-R-Y and then Blue is B-L-E-W, I have it pinned up there. So we have some great things coming with my campaign. Can't Can't announce yet, but I have some great things coming. And so I would love the support. And Kansas has, we have, unfortunately, we have a Democrat governor. So we have to make sure that we keep the supermajority in the House and in the Senate. So it's, it's been a rough five years with our governor. We've had to override her on quite a few things, but I'm excited about what's to come with my campaign. I live in the great state of Massachusetts, which is blue, as I explained it, not just blue, we're super blue, we're blue, blue, we're like the bluest blue (laughs) in blue. And so... (laughs) I would love to say I feel your pain, but if we ever had a Republican supermajority in Massachusetts, <laughs> we'd, it would actually be amazing. I don't see that happening in the near future. Well, I, I would but, definitely pray that Massachusetts can see, <laughs> understand how politics and how the economy should be. Yes. And yes. hopefully get, get a red wave. Unfortunately, that, that red wave of 2022 didn't happen. Right. 
So so maybe maybe it's twenty twenty four. Who knows? Well, I don't know. In a presidential year, I mean, I you know, I think that's everyone. Everyone needs to hold their hats in a presidential year. But you know, I'll tell you, I I think one of the great things about you, and and a reason I hope people donate to you, and I hope people go and check out your Facebook page, really, is because you are a common sense Republican who's elected to office. That to me, just it's like. It just speaks volumes about you and what you're doing and, you know, listening to your constituency and not acting because it's your ego, but but being in the right place for the right reasons. And so thank you. Thank you as a taxpayer, not in Kansas, but just as a taxpayer. Thank you for for taking your job seriously. Absolutely. And I I love it. There's days that it's not the greatest, like you and I were talking about the how we got mailed the white powder. That was not a great day to be a Republican legislator in Kansas. But in the end, it's it's such a rewarding job and experience when you get to help people. And my favorite is the constituent services. And, and especially too on the sometimes we are their last resort and we can get them an answer in 24 hours when they've been spending six months to something figured out. So it's it's unfortunate that that they call us at the very end, but it's so rewarding in the end. And, and I love being stopped all the time. Oh, hey, I got your newsletter and I love what you're doing. Or people still, this is, this is hilarious. People still stop by my parents' house thinking that I live there. And it's like, I have not lived there since I was 18 years old. And... <laughs> <laughs> And they stop by, hey, I'm just checking to see if the representative's in. And my mom's mowing the front yard. That's sweet. Yeah. That's sweet. That's (laughs) really, that speaks volumes about you. So I appreciate you you being on with me today, Tori. And you know what? We're running out of time. So I would love to talk to you and get you on again to talk about the legislation that sent that white powder, because I think that that's something that, that is important to discuss one, the legislation, and two, sometimes things happen in your job and, and you just have to, you know, it's scary and you get through it, but you know you're doing the right thing. So uh, I, I definitely would love to talk to you another time without giving away anything else. <laughs> Absolutely. I would love to come back on. Excellent. Well, thank you for being with here with me today on Political Contessa. It has been a phenomenal discussion. And I really, I might be my new hero and someone that I'm going to talk about for a long time and and send your your name around for people to check you out because I I think we need more of you. Well, I appreciate it. I greatly do. It's been a great, when, I, when you asked me to be on this, I couldn't say yes quick enough. So I'm very <laughs> excited and can't wait for this to be live. Excellent. Good. Please tell everyone to listen and and we can do it again. So this is Jennifer Nassor. I'm on with Tori Marie Arnberger-Blue, a member of the Kansas House of Representatives. She was the youngest member of the House of Representatives. And as you heard, she is just an absolute dynamo. And I expect to see much more of her. Maybe the next governor of Kansas, maybe a member of Congress, who knows, but at 30 years old. I don't know about you. I feel like she has a long, long road ahead of her and very positive road ahead of her. So thank you for being with me today here on Political Contessa. It was wonderful to have you listen. Again, Jennifer Nassor, your Political Contessa, and you stay happy. 
healthy, and safe. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. 